You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. If you weren't here last weekend, then you may not realize that we stepped into a new teaching series. The series is called Living in the Miracle of Christmas. And as we began, we took some time to distinguish how on the difference between how on one hand, experiencing something that happens to you during the Christmas season that somehow seemed like it was impossible or just this fantastic thing that happens during the Christmas season. And then on the other hand, learning what it means to consistently live within the true miracle of Christmas. Um, I think you'll agree it's very easy to get caught up in the the commercial hype of Christmas. Am am I right? There's just so much going around, uh, always pulling for our attention. So what we did last week is we took just a little bit of time to look quickly at a passage uh, that would uh, bring our attention back to the true meaning of Christmas, uh, the Christmas miracle. And it's found in John chapter 1, verse 14. Let me read it to you. Uh, It says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is the true miracle of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came from heaven and literally moved into our neighborhood, so to speak. The miracle of Christmas is that Jesus uh, came for us, The miracle of Christmas is that Jesus came to be like us, yet without sin. And the miracle of Christmas is that Jesus lives and works within us. This is the miracle uh, of Christmas. Uh, And within that miracle, as we were looking at the miracle of Christmas, we also took time to look at the miracle of how this miracle took place. And that's that a a young virgin girl uh, became pregnant and gave birth to the Savior of the world, the Son of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit supernaturally placed within Mary that which was naturally impossible. And she gave birth to the greatest miracle of all time. And Mary was a candidate for this miracle because she was just an ordinary girl. She was a candidate because she was humble and she was a candidate because she was available. And in the same way and and for the same reasons, today the Holy Spirit supernaturally plants within us that which is naturally impossible. And because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and because of God's Spirit at work in us, the miraculous, God's miraculous power can flow through us. Uh, The wonder of Christmas, the wonder of the Christmas miracle is that it happened 2,000 years ago, but it's still happening today to those who are open, those who are willing, and those who are seeking. So if you weren't here last weekend, you're up to speed now. You know exactly what happened. And if you were here, you just had a great reminder. So we're going to move on. But before I actually step into the message, I want to do something that, while not directly related to the message, will actually get us ultimately uh, to a place where we can step into the message real easily. So, And I think what I want to do is, is a little fun. So what I want to know is how much do you know about some of the Christmas songs that we sing during the Christmas season. Uh, we started hearing Christmas songs when back in, how early did we start here? At least November, a long time ago. Uh, and just think, these songs play over and over and over and over during Christmas. By the time Christmas is over, we're like, please, 
you know, let's put this away till next year. So I want to see how much you know about some of these songs. So I'm going to give you a little quiz. Seven questions. I'm going to ask a question. Don't leave me hanging. Uh, and be bold with your answer, even if it's wrong. And, and tell me what song I'm talking about. So here's question number one. Which Christmas song has the lyric, Was a Jolly Happy Soul? Frosty the Snowman. In the song... Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, what is the line after this? Then all the reindeer loved him as they shouted out with glee. You know that one. <laughs> Who composed the famous Christmas song, White Christmas? Irving, Irving Berlin. Irving Berlin, I told you that yesterday. <laughs> In the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, what was given on the 11th day? Who, okay, you've got to sing through the whole song right now, don't you? Eleven, did some, eleven Lords of Leaping. Yeah, good, Lisa. Um, uh, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, which song is the best-selling Christmas song of all times? White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Uh, which Christmas song has the lyrics, there'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing? Yes, that's it. Um, and then finally, um, in the song, Winter Wonderland, what is the name of the snowman? In the meadow, we could build a snowman and pretend it. Parson Brown. Yeah. Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> So, so you're pretty good. You, you, know, you, you know a bit about the Christmas songs we sing. And obviously this focuses on kind of the popular, the secular songs. Uh, but what about some of the beautiful Christmas hymns and Christmas carols that we sing that are such a rich uh, spiritual part uh, of the Christmas story? So this morning I want to just take time and I want to tell you about four, just a little history of four of the Christmas carols that we sing during Christmas. Uh, this morning we sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, in the 19th century, an Anglican priest by uh, John Mason Neal was reading uh, an ancient book of Latin poetry when he came across a then unknown poem called, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it was complete with musical accompaniment. And from that time in the 19th century, that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, has become a part of our Christmas tradition. We sang Joy to the World this morning. Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts in 1719. Isaac Watts complained that uh, the Christmas worship was lacking, so a deacon challenged him, well, if it's lacking, then write something better. And he took him up on it. And he wrote Joy to the World. And in case you didn't know, Joy to the World is an imitation of the last part of Psalm 98. So go and read the latter part of Psalm 98 and you'll see the likeness of Joy to the World. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written in 1739 by John, I mean by Charles Wesley as a poem to be recited on Christmas Day. And the original version, the, the, the original poem had 10 four-line Verses And today we sing joy to the newborn king. Originally, it was joy to the king of kings. Later, Charles Whitfield changed to the lyric that we sing today, joy to the newborn king. And he also eliminated some of the ten verses and lengthened some of the, the remaining verses. And again, this song has remained as part of our tradition. And then finally, Silent Night, which was written in 1818, it's become the, the, the most traditional Christmas song to be sung on Christmas Eve. 
I'm sure you've never gone through a Christmas Eve without singing Silent Night, especially if you come to Christmas Eve services at Grace Covenant, right? Uh, we always sing Silent Night. Um, it was written by John Moore, who was the pastor of a small church in Austria. One night after a Christmas program, uh, on his route home, his route took him up over a hillside that looked over the village. As he was looking out over the wintry village and enjoying the quietness of the night, he remembered a poem that he had written a couple of years earlier, and he thought that would make a great Christmas carol. The next day, he took that poem to the church. He met with a church organist, and in about three hours, they came up with a melody for, for Silent Night. And today, Silent Night is sung in more than 300 languages around the world. It's a rich part of the Christmas tradition. But one of the things that I realized as I was researching some of the history of Christmas hymns is that you don't really find many Christmas hymns that are written about Joseph. There are some, but not a lot. But I did find one, and it just caught my attention, and it caught my heart. So I want you to listen to these words. Oh, how tender was the man chosen by the Lord to stand next to Mary, meek and mild, and the little promised child. Joseph was that tender man chosen by the Lord to stand. Joseph came to understand by an angel's command what God had for him to do. He was faithful. He was true. Joseph was a faithful man, so he heeded God's command. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one, willed it from the earth Christ would come of virgin birth. Woman fell so it would be such a birth would set her free. Joseph, so oft we think, from the scene must always shrink. But the word of God is clear. Joseph's part was very dear. Earthly fathers have their place showing heaven's caring face. I thought those words are just so tender and they so capture uh, really the essence of Joseph. And so often we... We don't really focus on that. Most often during the Christmas season, or more than, yeah, most often when we're looking at the Christmas story, our greater focus is on uh, the, the Christmas story through, through the perspective uh, of Mary. And uh, while we rightly celebrate the Mary miracle, this hymn reminds us that Joseph played a vital and necessary part in the Christmas story. Um, although Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he would need an earthly father who would participate in God's plan of redemption. So it's with that in mind that this morning we want to look at the Christmas story from the Joseph point of view. And as we did last week, instead of me reading the passage to you from Matthew chapter 1, I want you to watch this video as the story is told in a very creative and unique way. Today we will read from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived 
in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a child, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. I said it last week, but what a cute, what a unique way to tell the Christmas story. It's forever embedded in our minds. What I'd like for us to do right now is to, um, I want us to imagine how this whole story might have played out in, in real life. And when I say imagine, I'm going to use my imagination and I'm going to, I'm going to fill in, I don't know if it's fact, but we could assume some things, emotions that might have, might have been there. So let's consider this. Mary has already had a divine visitation from the angel Gabriel. She's had a face-to-face -face encounter, and the angel has told her that she's going to become pregnant and that the child that she will give birth to will be the Son of God. And so now Mary is pregnant. There has been conception by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has placed directly in her womb the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But she needs to tell this to Joseph, who has not yet had his encounter with the angel. Now, I think that that is a setup for a conversation that might be a bit awkward, um, very emotion-filled and, and, and filled with confusion. So Mary, in my imagination, has to begin to think, now, when am I going to do this? How am I going to tell him? She's waiting for the right time, and finally, she and Joseph are alone. Mary is a bit nervous, somewhat edgy, and Joseph, not being clueless, is aware that the emotional temperature in the room is not quite normal. Mary is not herself. And so he timidly uh, asked the question, Mary, are you okay? What's going on? You're not yourself. And she says, I am so glad that you've asked me that question. We need to talk. There's something I need to tell you. And I think you need to sit down for this. Joseph sits down. And she says, Joseph, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to catch you off guard. But listen, I want you to listen before you respond. You're going to want to say a lot as soon as I give you the very first part, but just listen to me. Joseph, I'm pregnant. Hold on, Joseph. I know, I know there's a lot you want to say right now, a lot you want to ask, but just listen to me. The first thing that I want to assure you of is that I have not been unfaithful to you. Please trust me, believe that. This baby that, that's in my womb right now, it was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Joseph. Can you believe that? And I'm sure Joseph's like, I don't know if I can believe that or not. Joseph, this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, I had an encounter with the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel came to me and told me that I was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that this child would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And now that child is in my womb. Joseph, you and I are going to be the parents of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And we don't really know what Joseph's emotional state 
of mind and heart might have been at that moment. But we do know when we look at chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that he had it in his heart that he would quietly divorce her. Maybe he thought, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't really understand how this could possibly be. I'm not sure if you're telling me the truth. I can't do this. I won't do this. I'm I'm, I'm going to get out of this relationship. But the scripture also tells us that Joseph was, um, was a righteous man. He was committed to, to the law of God. And because of that, he was a man after God's own heart. And he had heart. And so uh, he, 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 he thought through his options. And he realized, one, is he could publicly expose her. He could say, this woman that I was going to marry, well, she's been unfaithful to me. She, she's going to have a baby and the baby's not mine. But he also knew that that would risk her being stoned. He knew that he could quietly divorce her to avoid public disgrace. What he didn't know is because he was committed to the law and he had not had confirmation from the angel yet that he could not marry her because it would break the law. He's considering. And then in verse 20 it says, but after he considered this. So in other words, he's considered his options. He's he's trying to figure out what to do. He was considering his options for the crisis at hand. And then he had an encounter with the angel. And the angel invited him into the miracle of Christmas. In a dream, Joseph has divine visitation from the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord confirms exactly what Mary says. Joseph, it's true. Mary is pregnant. And the the conception was from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has placed directly in her womb the Son of God. You're going to call him Jesus. You and Mary are going to be the parents to the Son of God as he lives on earth. And then he wakes up. Can you imagine the pendulum swing of emotion that he would have had after he woke up? Perhaps first it's, oh my goodness, It's true. Mary's telling the truth. Mary has the Son of God in her womb. We're going to be the parents of the Son of God. We're we're going to be the parents of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. How exciting. But on the flip side, perhaps he thought, oh my goodness, Mary's pregnant. She's pregnant with the Son of God. We've been given the role and the responsibility to raise the Son of God. That won't be easy. And then, will people believe this story? Or will people try to convince me that Mary's lying to me and say, run for, to the hills. You, you, you need to get out of this relationship as soon as you can. But then, in the same form and fashion as Mary, who said, may your word to me be fulfilled. I am your servant. That's what she said to the angel Gabriel. Joseph responds with action. In verse 24, we read, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. Joseph was invited into the miracle of Christmas because like Mary, Joseph was just an ordinary man. And Joseph was invited into the miracle of Christmas because just like Mary, uh, he was humble. And Joseph was invited into the miracle of Christmas because just like Mary, uh, he made himself available. And these are all necessary qualities and characteristics for anyone who would begin to partner with God in his miraculous work in the miracle of Christmas. But as we look at the story of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas from the Joseph point of view, we learn even more 
about the qualities and the characteristics that would uh, be part of those who were candidates for God's miraculous work, God's work flowing through them. And we'll begin here when we consider Joseph and the role that he played uh, in the miracle of Christmas, we can conclude that those who are candidates for God's miraculous work are responsive people. In other words, when we look at Joseph, Joseph was responsive. In verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel commanded him. Joseph didn't have all of the details. I'm sure that there were many questions that he had, and yet he was willing still to respond to the direction of the angel. Listen, most often when God invites you and I to participate in his miraculous work, when the Holy Spirit is birthing the miraculous in us, we typically won't have all of the details. Have you found that true in your life? When God calls you to do something, you don't necessarily have all the details. In fact, if you had all the details, you'd probably tell him no. I mean, that's just the plain truth. And when he invites us into the miraculous, there are, there are questions that we might have, but he simply wants us to trust him and believe that he is always working for good. His plan is always good. God is purposely chosen not to control or to manipulate our will. In other words, God will place the call. God will invite us to join him in his miraculous work, but he will never force us to do it. He, he never controls. He never manipulates our will. Um, instead, um, we have to be people who are responsive. We have to be open. We have to be willing See, we, we can't, the miraculous power of God can't flow through us if we don't respond to the call and we don't make ourselves available. If we're not open, we're not willing, then the miraculous flow can't flow through us. So, candidates for God's miraculous work are responsive people. It would seem that as Mary's pregnancy became more and more evident, that life would become a bit more challenging, even difficult for Joseph, we could begin to imagine that there would be people who would doubt him, who would ridicule him, who would accuse him, who would condemn him. But even if this was the case, we know that uh, when we look at verse 19, before having confirmation from the angel, he wanted to quietly divorce her, but when he encountered the angel, his response was redirected completely. It wasn't no longer, uh, I think that I'll get out of this relationship, but he did what the angel commanded him. And he, despite what people said, he moved forward with courage. Despite what people might have thought, he moved forward with courage. So candidates for God's miraculous work are people who are courageous. If we're going to allow the miraculous power of God to flow through us as the Holy Spirit births in us, we're going to have to be courageous because it will pull us out of our comfort zone. There will be people who will doubt you, who will mock you, who will ridicule you, and who will try to distract you from doing the miraculous work that God has called you to do. But instead of letting those things affect us, we have to move forward Encourage, Even if the adversity takes us out of our comfort zone, we move forward in courage. And then finally, 
Perhaps one of the most significant qualities of Joseph was that, that set him apart as a candidate for God's miraculous work was his, his obedience. Candidates for God's miraculous work are obedient. They are obedient to his call. Again, verse 24, Joseph did what the angel commanded. He took Mary as his wife. It was with this action that Joseph stepped in to the miracle of Christmas. In other words, he activated his faith at that point. He believed what the angel said. He believed that God wanted to work, and so he moved into action, and his action was simply taking Mary as his wife, despite what people might think. If you and I want to experience the miraculous flow of God, his miraculous power in our lives, then we have to be obedient. We have to be people who are willing to go God's way and to live God's way. Even if it takes us out of our comfort zone, even if we don't have all of the answers, even if we don't have all of the details, this is what we do. We become obedient. Last week, um, as I was closing out the message, I said, this room is filled with candidates for the miraculous flow of the Spirit, the miracle of Christmas to continue working through us today. That was true last week and it's true today. This room is filled with candidates through whom God wants to flow His miraculous power. I love in Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul writes, he talks about the same Spirit that God exerted in raising Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. We have the Holy Spirit resident in us. We have Holy Spirit power in us. And so that means that uh, the, that which seems impossible has supernaturally been planted in us through a work of the Holy Spirit. God wants to use us. And we can certainly confess there's a world beyond these walls. And can I just say, it's really messed up. I know there's a lot of opinions about what that mess looks like, but here's the thing we conclude. It's really messed up. In the world outside, they're all candidates for a miraculous touch of the power of Jesus Christ. And guess who has the ability to do it? Every single one of us. In our sphere of influence, we just allow God to work because the Holy Spirit is birthing it in us. We just allow it to flow through us. It happens because we're responsive, because we're obedient, because we're willing, because we're open, because we're seeking. And when those things are in place, we go out and we change the world. It's safe in here. We sang all morning and we lifted our hands and kumbaya, you know, we just, we feel good. But it's different when we go out, right? Because you don't encounter people not everyone you encounter has the love of Jesus and the peace that passes all understanding in their hearts and their lives. But we do, and we can take it with us wherever we go because we carry the Spirit of God with us. Are we open? Are we willing? Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you.
God, thank you for the miracle of Christmas. Thank you for the Mary miracle, but thank you for the Joseph miracle as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you came from heaven to earth to live among us, to become like us, yet without sin. You came for us, and you live and you work within us and through us. Father God, we understand as those who know you, we have a call on our lives. You've called us to be salt. You've called us to be light. You've called us to be the gospel to a world that's lost and dying, confused, darkened. You've called us to live in a world that's hopeless and bring the hope that only you can give and the peace that only you can give. Lord, I pray for every distraction within us, every hindrance. I pray that it would be removed. I pray that we would be open, more open than ever before, that we would be more willing, that we would be sensitive to what's going on around us, and that as we leave this place today, that we would, we would be the gospel, and that if necessary, we would even use words to tell that gospel. But I pray that people see it through our lives and that they're drawn to you because of what they see. Help us to, uh, to bring order to a chaotic, confused world. Teach us by your Spirit how, how to respond to a lost, controversial world. Continue to do that work in us, I pray. I pray that over every person in this room because we are all candidates for your miraculous work. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, uh, just let me ask, maybe you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. You've never confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God and have eternal life. You've never experienced what it's like to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. If that's you, today is the day that can all change. You just simply say, I believe. I believe that Jesus died for me. I confess it today. And something happens inside of you. You start your life all over. And so I ask this every week, and I'm going to ask again today, is there anyone here? And today you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to start that relationship today. Is there anyone? So just lift up your hand. Father, Again, I thank you that you have brought us together as a group of believers. And so again, I pray that as we leave this place, we would take the gospel with us. And I also pray that you would send to us people who don't know you so that we can tell the gospel and help bring them into the kingdom and help them grow to become like you. We thank you because we will see this happen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.